I'm Sean McCormick, and this is Optimal Performance. Uh, sweet proteins are structured and digest like other dietary proteins, right? Uh, they're broken down by our GI tract into peptides and amino acids, so they can be repurposed for building that 50% of the dry weight of our cells that I mentioned earlier on. Um, and and in, in fact, since they're not sugars, they don't disrupt that gut microbiome or raise the, the blood sugar or insulin levels. That's fundamentally important. Right. So in that case, we put an acacia fiber in and we actually make a high fiber, low sugar chocolate bar because we will replace sugar with acacia fiber so that you have a fiber based bulk instead of sugar. Okay, so if you know me by now, you know that I like to be way out ahead of health trends, nutrition trends, exercise equipment, nootropics, thought ideas that are ahead of the curve. That's my thing. And this week's episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast, I'm joined by Ali Wing and Dr. Jason Ryder from Oobly, and they make this really innovative product that is fermented protein and it is good for your gut it's good for the environment and it makes things sweet so when products are released that i think are interesting or innovative or maybe way ahead of the curve like the company oobly that's o-o-b-l-i i want to talk to them because because I want to know what is BS and what is actually good science and good nutrition. And in this episode, we talk about what is sweet fermented proteins and how they will replace sugar and artificial sweeteners in the future. If everything goes up to plan and their business plan works out. Uh, we also talk about how it's better for the environment. You know, cane sugar is terrible for the planet and it's in everything. So if we could find a better alternative that was better for you and better for the planet, that also tasted good, man, that makes sense to me. So you can go to oobly.com, that's O-O-B-L-I.com and check out some of their drinks and chocolates and use the code OPTIMAL for 20% off. May as well try it. Before we dive in, it is What's Up Wednesday. If you go to seanmccormick.com and sign up for my newsletter, it's five points every single Wednesday afternoon, a conspiracy you should know, a health headline, a link to an episode, a discount, and a powerful quote. So go check it out, join the newsletter, and the now 7,000 people that are getting this every single Wednesday. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the folks from Oobly. I'm here with Jason and Allie from Oobly. Jason, Allie, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. Thanks, John. I, I guess I want to start with a couple of things, a couple of establishing statements, and then a and then a big question. One is, I think people are always going to want sweet stuff forever. It's it's in our biology. We oh, you know, we're ooh, 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 through the forest and we see some fruit and we go for the fruit. It's in our nature to want sweet things, and it's never going to go away. I'm always going to gravitate towards chocolate. I'm always going to want sweet things in my life. And I think everybody's the same. And so to have a product and to have a foundational ingredient, like what you've created with Oobly to that's based on proteins, I think is super innovative, but it does beg the question, like what, what is, what is a sweet protein? Yeah, I can take that one, Sean. So let's start with what are proteins, right? Uh, proteins are relatively large biomolecules made of uh, amino acids. They're often called the building blocks of life as they comprise some 50% of the dry weight of our cells. 
due to their sequence of these amino acids and the three-dimensional folded structure you get, um, they can take on a number of roles, uh, including adding structure to cells, catalyzing metabolic reactions, those are called enzymes, and even DNA replication, right? Fundamental to life. So back to sweet proteins, sweet proteins are a subclass of mostly plant-based proteins that when eaten taste sweet like sugar. Due to their amino acid sequence and three-dimensional structure, these particular proteins taste thousands of times sweeter than sugar. Now, why would a plant make such a protein instead of sugar? Well, plants are, of course, really good at making sugars via photosynthesis, right? That's fundamental to life. They would rather turn that sugar into cellulose, which is a sugar polymer, uh, to make more leaves, more stems, more plant, more photosynthesis. From the plant's perspective, it's metabolically expensive to simply store that sugar speculatively in fruit such that a mobile species like us can eat them and carry around the seeds. We, of course, as humans, one of those mobile species, I think you were alluding to this earlier on with the ooh, ooh, uh, seed carriers, we evolved and are wired to crave sweetness for energy. And our ancestors gorged on those easy energy sources like fruits and honey in the wild when they were available, which was not that often. Um, our hypothesis is these sweet proteins evolved mainly in these fruits to trick us into eating them, thinking they were rich in energy. While this was a dirty trick several thousand years ago, today we live in a world where sugar's been cultivated, is very cheap, and is recklessly ab abundant in the food system. Um, we, we believe a little sugar is normal and natural in our diets, but we were never meant to deal with the massive amount of sugar that's, that's now present in our diets. Why is a sweet protein preferred to and and you know a, a source of many of the negative impacts of eating not just sugar but alternative sweeteners and you alluded to one earlier on with aspartame uh you know there's similar uh you know scientific uh, studies out there about sucralose uh and, and stevia and the like um, so in practice, you can use these to replace 70 to 90% of sugar and almost any food or beverage product. And that is a huge game changer, uh, not just from a health perspective, but, but overall food. So I'll build on that, that second piece, right, which is the climate. And, and that might be my favorite of the three. So in, in nature, as I mentioned, sweet proteins are found in fruits um, from a handful of plants that grow predominantly around the equator, right? Given that we need these plants and, and the others that grow in our tropical rainforest to help the planet breathe, we can instead use precision fermentation to make sweet proteins. It's a lot like brewing beer, right? And, and you can do that anywhere on the planet, not just in the tropical regions. Now, how does that, you know, how does sugar affect climate? So globally, sugarcane covers about 65 million acres of land, and a dozen countries use at least 25% of their arable land to grow it, right? Um, sugar for candy bars and, and sweet drinks. So much of this land is of course in tropical areas and every 1% reduction in that sugar production raises 650,000 acres of, of farmland, right? Which we can you know, grow nutritive crops or, or regrow the rainforest so the planet can breathe. So, so, so that all brings you back to precision fermentation, right? Um, as, as you can, you know, ferment, you can make beer anywhere in the world, you can make sweet proteins anywhere in the world. And that means no deforestation, no single crop farming, no soil destruction. And so that's what we're doing at Ubley. Mm, yeah, there's this hits on so many different things for me. Uh, the, the soil, the soil issue, you know, increasingly, increasingly scary, you know, um, the 
gut issues from, you know, fake artificial sweeteners that don't really taste that great anyway, that have leave that sort of kind of flavor in the back of your mouth after it's done. And I do want to ask about that because I have not tried, I've not tried these products and I'm, and I'm, and I'm hoping that you're going to give me a no, no aftertaste <laughs> guarantee, but it, it hits on so many different things that I, that are, I think important for me as a sort of performance optimization guy and as a, um, a, a, as an informed consumer who wants to buy products that, that, that support, um, soil quality and, and then, you know, the, the glucose, the, the glucose spike explanation. So I want to, I want to dive, I want to dive into that a little bit deeper and, and I, and I've come to understand, and, and maybe you can speak to this directly, that sugar is bad for glucose. Sugar leads to, you know, metabolic disorders, obesity, et cetera. And the idea is, and maybe it's because it's a small molecule, but the, the, the idea is if you are using a lot of sugar alternatives like sucralose or aspartame, I have a question about monk fruit too. If you're taking these ingredients in different keto, keto friendly products that you're, that, that us, you know, optimized folks really love to eat is that it's having the same effect. It's basically signaling to your system, the same thing. Like, even if it's not sugar, it's like, Hey, we're getting sweet stuff. And then that gives us this spike. So it's, is that, is that, accurate? Do I have that sort of dumb, dumb characterization close? Am I close there? Yeah, not dumb, dumb at all. So, so I'd say you have, um, you know, you have a great relationship with your taste buds, right? And, and I'll take you, you know, one, one click deeper. Uh, we have T1R2 and T1R3 taste receptors in our mouth that are responsible for, for tasting sugar and sweet things, right? Because we needed that energy and we still need energy, right? Not all sugar is bad. We just have way too much of it. Uh, and, and so uh, you, you have that single in your mouth, but you also have taste buds down your GI tract. And those are there predominantly as you break down starch, which is a polymerized version of sugar into simple sugars with the enzymes in your body so that your GI tract knows, hey, we've made simple sugars. Now it's time to bring them across that, that membrane and, and get them into your bloodstream, right? And that's the role of insulin. So the, the challenge is when you have alternative sweeteners, some of these other small molecules that look to your taste receptors like they're sugars, right? That's why you get the sweetness from things like aspartame and stevia in your mouth. Um, even though they're not bioavailable in the same way that a sugar is, your body knows how to process those sugars, but it doesn't know how to process things like aspartame and stevia. And so we, we thought that they were just inert. They just floated through, but in mm -hmm. fact, they stimulate that insulin response by hitting those T1R2 and T1R3 taste receptors down your gut. And then there's more once they get to your gut microbiome, Sean, you may not know it, but you're an anaerobic biodigester. You are a walking, talking fermenter, right? So you have all of these anaerobic uh, microbes in, in your tummy that break down the material as it goes down through the end. 
And so some of those uh, can be acted upon by these alternative sweeteners, right? And, and so that's why your stomach gets upset if you get too much of them, it gets out of balance. And so the great thing about sweet proteins is once they get into the pH one environment of your stomach, that three-dimensional structure that gives them that activity, that sweetness in your mouth is gone. They unfold and they begin to be broken down. So those T1R2 and T1R3 taste receptors in your GI tract never see them. They don't stimulate any more insulin response. And that makes them very, very different wow. from sugar and all those alternative sweeteners. And just just, just to emphasize what Jason's saying is your brain experiences the satisfaction of sugar in your mouth, the T1 and R1 taste receptors. Then your body does a whole bunch of other interaction with it, which is insulin triggering, right? But that's not where you get your satisfaction. So sweet proteins give your satisfaction in your mouth, but then they unfold like any other protein and move through your body very differently. So just know there's that's the fundamental difference. You can get the satisfaction in the brain through just that one T1, R1 taste receptor, none of the rest of them are required for the satisfaction. Wow. So and let's go back to the history. I'll hit a little bit on what Jason told you, sort of how these ever evolved this way. Why were these plants trying to do this more calorically efficiently than just making more um, fruits and berries differently through carbohydrates? Why'd they go to proteins? Because they grow in precious ecosystems where they're nutrient challenged and they will die like any plant species, if they're not attractive to apes and gorillas to come go out of their way to eat them and spread them. It's also why you would never want to grow these because they'd be an agricultural nightmare, right? But that effort is they had to become attractive to have that ape or gorilla actually get the mental satisfaction that they were sweet, but they miraculously do it in a way, as Jason said, that was a dirty trick to them, right? Because then they didn't have the energy effect of it because there's such a tiny amount to give that mental sweetness. But it's like the perfect solution for today's world where we want that craving we've gotten sort of evolved to want even more of. Mm. And that's an inverse relationship for what's good to our body. And so mm. they, they then become the perfect solution. So just to kind of connect those for you a little bit. I just learned a whole bunch there. You said T1 and R3, is that right? T1R2 and T1R3, you have two T1. different uh, classes of taste receptors in your mouth as well as in your gut uh, where, that give you that insulin response. Where are they in my mouth? They're all over your tongue. Uh, I mean, uh, you can actually dye your tongue and count them. Uh, we've done that a few times here at, at Ubli, um, as we, of course, make a lot of sweet protein powered products, but we also taste a lot of them too. And so we try to make it as quantitative as we can. You can die. You can die the taste buds on your tongue and say, "Oh, look, there's one. Oh, look, yeah. there's another one." Whoa. You can't. You can't. You can't quite see down to the level of of the you know the the micron scale on on the taste buds, but you can identify the taste buds for sure. Today's episode is brought to you by AG One. I first heard about AG One on other podcast sponsorships like Joe Rogan Experience, and it really is the Number one go-to to cover your bases for nutrition. I take AG1 first thing in the morning. It's part of my morning routine. I wake up, I head downstairs, put one scoop of AG1 in about eight ounces of water. I shake it up and I chug it down. And I know that my nutritional bases are covered. The things that have the greatest impact on your health are the things that you can do every single day and you can stay really consistent with. And for me, AG1 
ticks that box. I do it every single morning. I travel with it and I know that my nutritional bases are covered. Since I've been drinking AG1, I can tell after about 15 or 20 minutes that my body starts to wake up, my brain starts to wake up, and it really starts my day off on a really high note. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash OPP. That's drinkag1.com forward slash OPP. Go check it out. And I think we could riff off this if you want to go to your earlier question about why these are good trickster sugars and don't have the ugly aftertaste of alternatives. And there's a couple important notes because they are biologically different than any small molecule. Small molecules in all types, sugar and sugar alternatives, hit your blood sugar system, like you hit your bloodstream. These don't, they actually bind with your taste buds. Those T1 and R1 taste receptors, they bind momentarily. The difference is the following things. They don't have a different taste. They're just a sugar taste. So they momentarily bind. So really, let's say you're a really reduced sugar person, somebody who just came off of your diet. You might notice that that sweetness sits for just an extra second in your mouth, right? You also might notice that it might be a half a second delay. If, If we took every sugar out and we just had sweet proteins, there might be a slight delay because it takes just a minute for them to bind. Not really a minute, like a half a second. Um, versus what hits your bloodstream, which is instantaneous. We're really used to that. So one of the reasons why Jason and I feel passionately that you'll almost always see products by us and products we do in partnership with other people that have a gram of sugar, maybe two grams of sugar, small amount, because we actually want to give your brain the hit it's used to, which is no delay. So you might have a gram of agave or a small amount of fruit that gives you the right away, Um, but we'll reduce it by 70 to 90% based on the different product and different application, because at about 79%, you shouldn't notice any different from a normal sugar. So we should be able to blindfold you and have you have your favorite chocolate, one with sweet proteins with 70 to 80% less um, sugar or one with sugar in it. You shouldn't know this difference. If you taste something different, we did something wrong in our formula, right? Mm. Because that's an application. And what we can do, we know there are two biological differences. One is a slight delay and one can be, if we put too much in, you'll notice it sit for just a little bit. Won't be a different taste, won't be an aftertaste, but it'll sit just a little bit. So that's why we typically will adjust it by about, again, on average, 70 to 90% sugar reduction. So, which we're pretty happy with. One of the big things Jason and I talk about all the time is, you know, I think one of the great tragedies of our current labeling system is that we've somehow bought this message that zero calorie means healthy. And the two are almost unrelated, right? Right. They're an almost unrelated topic. Um, So kind of like saying zero sugar, the goal isn't that you shouldn't have any. Our bodies have had them from the beginning of time. In fact, we're designed to crave it. The problem is the quantity and the abundance and it's sort of reckless use in our foods today. Mm. So we can get it back to where you have healthy small amounts. It's a really net positive thing for your body. And we can make it a game changer for not only your health and and sort of therefore our healthcare system, which is in crisis, but then also the planet. Mm. So you purposefully add a very small amount of agave or, and what, what are some of the other ones that you add? In our own products, we're only out with our first couple of products. And the example, again, if you're just talking sweetener, 
sugar, as you know, plays a lot of different roles in foods. So if we're only like in a drink, it only plays the role of sweetness. And so really all we're adding in that is about a gram of agave and the rest, we have some fruit in the fruit flavor, right? So it's peach, we'll have peaches. So the total amount of sugar in that will be about six to seven grams, depending on the flavor. And it'll taste like a sweet tea. Again, it's a sweet tea with a fruit flavor, fruit forward flavor. Um, equivalent of one that has anywhere from 18 grams to 36 grams of sugar is what it'll taste like. I so, see. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Whereas something like our chocolate, um, we also only have one gram of agave <laughs> in it. Um, and it's a dark chocolate. And in that case, we're about 75% less than a typical chocolate, but there's something different we have to do there. And we just put a tiny in amount so you don't have the delay. And so it's a tiny, tiny amount of sugar in those. The difference is in that sugar also plays a role of bulking, right? So in that case, we put an acacia fiber in and we actually make a high fiber, low sugar chocolate bar because we will replace sugar with acacia fiber so that you have a fiber-based bulk instead of sugar. Why? Fascinating. Why acacia? Uh, one, because it does the function of bulking. Because when you look at a chocolate bar, 50% of the weight of the chocolate bar is actually sugar in a typical chocolate bar. So it, it, it plays this other role than just sweetness. And acacia fiber is a gut fiber friendly way to get that same function in the bar um, without changing the taste profile because you're mostly tasting the sweetness in the chocolate. Whoa, whoa, okay, whoa. Okay, so the sugar in a, in a, chocolate, the, 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 in a chocolate bar, half of the actual weight of the bar is attributed to the sugar in it. And the other half is like what the cocoa bean or yeah, whatever else, yeah. whatever else. And in this case, in order to make a chocolate bar look without that sugar, you have to add some sort of bulking thing to it to make it have the sort of same weight. Does that do anything to the texture or mouthfeel by using the acacia, acacia fiber? Oh, uh, again, the complicated thing with food and food categories is we're a spoiled world with a lot of different segments of choices, right? So let's pretend we take how it got sweetened completely out of the equation. We just talk the number of chocolate segments. There are people that like it creamier, that like it more bitter, that like a different cacao, that like a different thickness, that want to have a certain um, uh, uh, crumbly element. Those are all just segments and preferences. In we've only made one chocolate bar, which means we've picked one segment and we picked an identical segment we're going after and made it, you know, mm. if we blindfolded that target consumer and we didn't tell them what we did to it, they couldn't identify it. That's how we sort of meet the standard. Gotcha. But if you happen to like a more crumbly um, dark chocolate or maybe one with a higher cacao than we're using, you will say, hmm, I like, I don't like this chocolate bar as much. But that's independent of what we're actually trying to show you, which is how to take a great tasting sweet that's a favorite and show you that we can rehabilitate it to a much healthier product. This is a 75% less sugar and a high fiber chocolate bar that is a replaceable for that segment. We could do every segment of chocolates cool. as we could do anything that has sweetness in it. We won't ultimately do that all ourselves. A lot of people make a lot of good products that we should rehabilitate with sweet proteins. Yeah. And we're excited to help them do that. Yeah. In the meantime, we're giving examples of good products 
to taste. Totally. Yeah. Well, if, if, if it were me, I think in the center of my chocolate bullseye would be like a 78% moderately creamy, dark chocolate. That's my favorite. Right. And, and right. as I, I think it's funny because I used to be in a milk chocolate and now I can't stand the stuff. And maybe it's, maybe it's my taste buds changing, uh, over time. Maybe it's age. Maybe it's, you know, I went keto and, and paleo a long, long time ago. And now just don't have that same desire for, um, for that, for that ultra sweet sort of milk chocolatey flavor. What now I'm curious, you know, Jason, cause you're, you're in the lab with your beakers and your Petri dishes playing around. What, what's your, in your glasses, what's your favorite, what's your like chocolate wheelhouse? Oh my gosh. They're like my kids. They're all my favorites. Uh, but <laughs> what, what I'll tell you is um, everybody has preferences and I love that. Um, and and uh, we did launch our dark chocolates, but we have an amazing milk chocolate uh, that I think we're going to release what September, October, November, Allie? The whole line will be Labor Day. Labor Day. So for those of you out there who are listening and saying, man, I, I like dark chocolate, but I really love milk chocolate. I have good news. We're making that too. And that really is the best way I, I can talk to the cows come home about our sweet proteins and I will. Uh, but the best way to experience them is to eat them in the form of our chocolates and all the other great food products we'll be developing, um, as well as drink them in our, our sweet teas. And um, what, what I would add to that is, you know, again, that, that little bit of sugar is we're built for sugar, right? We need it. Um, you just don't need more than about 30 grams of sugar per day. Um, and uh, you shouldn't really be eating that in one sitting or drinking it in one bottle. And so what we're trying to do is, is help you balance out that, you know, give you what you crave um, in terms of your chocolates and drinks and, and other products, but give you room to experience sugar and, you know, throughout the rest of your day. Um, and, and that's, that's good for everybody. It, where does, where does that 30 per 30 grams a day suggestion come from? I think that's uh, the that comes from the U.S. government in terms of their dietary recommendations. Um, which agency is it? USDA. I yeah, I think it's to... the USDA that does the labeling. And yeah. again, even putting aside all the puts and takes, we can all comment on on the food pyramid or any of that. It's probably skewed a little bit to men because most of our medical recommendations are. So it's probably less for women. Um, just a smaller person should have less. Um, and it's skewed to an adult. But if you put that as a rough guideline, and I just give you this context, I don't think Jason and I are advocating that's the exact number for all people. Yeah, no, but I'm just curious. I, but what I do know is the average American is having about three times that amount. And here's a here's a here's an interesting fact from a large coffee chain that we all know and we all see the busy drive-throughs in on a regular basis. Um, the average specialty drink that goes out the door on that, not including their basic coffees, is about three times your daily added sugar. 90, so, like a, so my, well, I'll say it. You don't have to say it. So the orange uh, mocha venti frappuccino with whipped cream and chocolate. Tri triple syrup. crazy topping, whatever. 90-ish um, grams. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why we're so passionate about having started with beverages. Um, we're excited about chocolates because it's easy to talk about sweets and confectionery and show people an example. But the actual hidden sugar is the bigger problem in yeah. all of our lives. You know, when you had a cupcake that you were having a one-off cupcake, the bigger issue is, is what you're drinking for hydration all day long. If you look at the yeah. the global daily added sugar problem today, we're drinking our sugar problem right now. Oh, and God. the drinks are really the primary culprit. Yes. Certainly, 
again, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of people participating in this. Things that we had that we would have called a breakfast food 20 years ago, like a yogurt, act more like a dessert. If you look at the amount of sugar today, so it's not that it's just to blame on on drinks, but we know when we just look at pure consumption, the daily added 800 pound gorilla for added sugar is in beverage form. So yeah. we're excited to be tackling that. The bonus is for us, we, Jason and I get particularly excited because at the end of the day, we wake up each day to think that we can, I, like we're the last ones that want to make people feel guilty about what's going on. We just want to give a pathway of hope that is actually good for you and good for yeah. the planet that you could love just as much. Because this whole area has been so rife with guilt and negativity and the irony of that is we've equated sweet with sugar. And the re reality is sweet is the domain of celebrations and happy and joy and all these things that shouldn't be full of guilt. So what's exciting for us is when we look at something like drinks, it's actually one of the most basic categories to completely rehabilitate mm -hmm. because the only role that sugar plays or sugar alternatives is sweetness. So you don't actually have to add anything. The rest is just water. So we can actually get there very fast. It actually takes us a little bit longer when we're thinking about something like a milk chocolate bar that's 50% weight is actually the bulk of sugar. Then we have to think about what we put in to do good food, right? In drinks, it's just straight up taking sugar or sugar alternatives out and putting in sweet proteins and balancing the rest with water. And that's mm -hmm. exciting because that's a real plausible, hopeful solution for consumers. This episode is brought to you by BioPro Plus, the non-synthetic HGH alternative that works so incredibly well. And I'm going to talk to you about how I use it and why I love it. And then I'll tell you some of the details about what it is and how it works. Number one, I do not exaggerate when I tell you that BioPro Plus is the most effective supplement I've ever taken to enhance vitality. So that's energy, metabolism, that is sleep, that is libido. All of those things have been enhanced since I've been taking it, and so many of my coaching clients and you listeners can attest to that. It's super simple. It's literally the first thing I do in the morning. After I wake up and use the bathroom, I unscrew the cap to a little tiny vial of the liquid, and then I just pour it underneath my tongue, and that's how I start my day. I can usually start to feel it after about 30, 45 minutes. BioPro Plus is the faster, easier, and safer non-synthetic alternative to painful, expensive, and invasive anti-aging and hormone treatments. Before you do TRT, before you start taking a bunch of herbs that may not make you feel the way that you want to feel, you should try this. Go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. You know, you know that a sponsor is a hit when people who have purchased it reach out to me and say, holy cow, Sean, I try this and it's amazing. It's blowing my mind. It makes me better at everything that I do. I love having sponsors like this that really make a difference in people's lives. And this product is, it's absolutely incredible. It's growth factors and amino acids that will help you improve your hormones, become better at everything that you want to do. So go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. Do you suspect, and maybe this is part of the business model, maybe it's not, but do you suspect that as this catches on and more and more people consume the Oobly products and the Oobly drinks and they're like, man, this is really good. They figured it out. 
is is it part of the model to provide this sort of raw materials for them to be using it in Snapple and Monster and X thousands and thousands of other drinks? Like, is that is that part of the plan? Yes, yes, and yes. Yeah. And the reality is, is the hardest part today. Think about this. You know this. We're so fatigued and skeptical as a as a nation, let's just talk U.S. for a minute. And we don't know who to trust. We feel like we've had a lot of bait and switch. Um, there's been a lot of promises that then come out with bad news. And all you almost can't pick a more prototypical category than this and than in sweetener and sweetener alternatives, because we just keep getting more bad news about what these alternatives really are, right? So there's a lot of skepticism. So the most important reason that we're putting products out is we know that Proof in food is in the mouth, right? So we need people to taste it and experience sweet proteins. But in no way will we ultimately limit this to everything we can just make. Why would we? If Jason and I are have done a lot of things in our career, we wake up each day super excited about bringing the world oobly because we have a chance to bend the global health curve. The only way to do that is mass adoption. Yeah. And mass adoption means affect the whole food supply. So what we're really excited about is building this as a rehabilitation tool. So many of our favorite foods can take a new form and you can still love them. Um, we can just do them better and we can do them better by a trade out with sweet proteins. And that is something we will definitely do. We're talking and working with some partners now, but we think it's really important first that we build trust and credibility around mm -hmm. the idea of sweet proteins with consumers. So they have a, they have something to believe in. Yeah. Well, it's what, it's what drew me to have this conversation because this is a little, uh, you know, this is a little outside of the norm of podcast episodes that I do. This is very specific. This is very like product focused, you know, um, you know, people who are still listening are like, well, this is, this is really focused on this one thing. But the fact is the reason why it resonates with me is because it's better for your health. It's better for your gut and it's better for the environment. And those three things to me are the reasons why a, why products like this deserve attention because, um, because who knows, you know, if everything goes according to plan in three or five years from now, we, it, there's, you know, Ubli is going to be white labeled and integrated into a trillion products and people aren't going to tell a difference. You know, they're, their monster, their, their sugar-free Red Bull is using, you know, this, this sweetener that's actually a protein and nobody knows the difference. And yeah, so we, what I want to see that in, in, is, is reflected in the data, right? Is, is bending the curve on obesity rates mm -hmm. in the U.S. and the world on heart disease and, and type 2 diabetes, right? That's the real enabling impact of sweet proteins is really on that global health curve that Ali mentioned before. Yeah, and I would say maybe we should see it in the health impact and the mental health impact because how many more things can we keep giving people and then telling them it's terrible for them? It's, yeah. it's a depressing, sad world we're in right now. We really want to be the yes revolution in sweets where we believe strongly that um, we love you took taking this risk and talking about something that feels so specific. Know that we think this is a revolutionary category of finally getting sweets right. And that's yeah. a big deal for us. Yeah, it, it is a big deal. And, you know, I, I kind of put it into the same type of category as I would, you know, there's, there's a, there's a guy named Crosby Taylor. Uh, he's a keto, uh, uh, keto baker. Um, 
handsome bugger, six pack, like underwear <laughs> model level. And this guy makes keto cupcakes and keto lemon bars and keto sweets. And it's almost like, there's no way you're eating those dude. Like there's no way you can have that physique and be a baker, but he's, he's figured out the right sort of raw ingredients to, to make really great tasting foods. And, and I don't know what he uses for sweetener. It's probably monk fruit or, you know, something else. But to me, like you, that's a good example of someone who's cracked the code and found, you know, nutritional hacks and ingredient hacks so that you can have, you can enjoy the food that you're eating and, and, and have some sweet stuff without it ruining your day and breaking out and giving you a headache and screwing up your sleep and giving you the runs and making you feel guilty. Uh, and, and so I think for, you know, for a guy like Crosby Taylor um, uh, to be exposed, to, to be exposed or to be aware that there, that there are ingredients like this that are not available to him yet, but, but down the road could be, I think is, is really fascinating. What, what is an oobly? <laughs> well, we like to call ourselves the oobles um, internally. That's our team. We have a lot of oobles running around, but um, oobly as an image, you see some of our branding was actually inspired at the shape level by the proteins and the actual shapes of the proteins. Um, but the name was an inspiration from the first protein that we actually took through the regulatory process. It's a made up name, Oobly, O-O-B-L-I, which is our name, but it's inspired by the first protein that comes from West Africa called the Oobly fruit. Um, and it's O-U-B-L-I or O-U-B-L-I-E, depending on different spellings. And it, it's a French word. Um, and it is associated with forgetfulness. And what we loved is we found out that in these villages close to the equator where people actually had access to find these little berries in nature, there became a colloquial story about they're so sweet you forget your mother's milk. And that's where the name came from and that's how they got named. So our inspiration is we have that kind of sweetness story for you. Um, we'll be doing it with more than just the oobly fruit sweet protein, which the scientific name is braising um, because we're working on multiple proteins on our platform. But we loved the story and the heritage because there isn't a civilization that's ever existed where there isn't great stories that are happy around sweets. Yeah, right. That's cute. I like that. Um, what what are the limitations? What are the limitations of, of this, this fermentation process? Like, um, are there any, are there any foods or delivery methods or platforms that this just doesn't work with is high temperature, low temperature. Does there, is there stuff that this just doesn't, doesn't jive with? So, so in a, in a succinct answer, no, uh, just, a, a question of how you process it, right? How you integrate it into those those food matrices. As Ali mentioned, the, the simplest case is drinks, right? Where sweetness only plays uh, the functional role, uh, or rather, uh, uh, the the sweetener only plays the functional role as, as sweetening the beverage, right? Uh, and things like chocolates, as she mentioned, getting it uh, replacing the structural uh, bit that that sugar uh, plays there is is more complex. But again, there's processing, pasteurization, right, to reduce, uh, you know, or to improve the food safety. Uh, you, you can solve all of those issues. As as Ali may have mentioned, there are a variety of sweet proteins, right? It wasn't just the oobly fruit 
uh, that co-evolved along with us. There were several other species that make different sweet proteins with different amino acid sequences. That gives them different thermal stabilities. It also gives them different sweetness and taste profiles, whether it's 500 times sweeter than sugar on a weight weight basis or, or 5,500 times. And so that's an incredibly diverse tool set from which to work with with these sweet proteins to solve all of the issues uh, that have been introduced by the way we make and process our foods. And so we've solved that already for drinks. Um, we've solved it for chocolates and we're excited to solve it for the other 70% of the products that are in the grocery store that have sugar in some form or another uh, that contribute to your, your daily daily. Think, think about what we're doing as sort of building a toolkit of sweet proteins. And what's there's if we think of the food system that's out there as a model system and there's example categories example foods in every category from bank good to dairy to frozen to whatever. There's no category. Sweet proteins can't be the solution, at least in the 70 to 80% sugar reduction, right? But there are different complexities of manufacturing, as Jason alluded to, not ones you can't solve, but um, proteins by definition have a different heat stability than some other types of molecules. And so um, there are some where you might have to approach a baking differently, or you might have to add it in after something's baked. So you might have process differences, but there's not really a category that we've met that we can't be a solution in. The magic comes in the combination of proteins, like Jason said, and I think that's where we're super excited. There are other people that have done some research academically in sweet proteins. There's never anybody been producing them, let alone producing many of them and looking at them in combination with um, foods. That's where the big breakthroughs are happening for us that we're very excited about. And you'll know we've made it that easy when we then can make it an option to buy a packet of it and have um, the, the, the sweet protein keto baker be able to use it in his, it's, that part's not easy yet because there's a lot of science in what we're doing. And so a little bit goes a long way. You have to have combinations. And until we get a little farther with the tech and we have more of it through the regulations, we can't make it so that it's sort of a um, an easy one size fits all for people to replace in baking in their home kitchen. But that's coming. That's just a couple steps away. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Wow, super cool. Um, if you were going to send people, let's say people are like, man, I got to try this. I'm in. And, and, and here's how I think about, I think the folks who would be the most interested in, in this are, are, are people who are already very disciplined in their nutrition. They're already very conscious of what goes in their mouth. They're not, uh, they're not at the beck and call of mouth pleasure, you know, like, like a lot of people, like most people are, you know, they're not, they're not <laughs> constantly chasing the dragon of a you know, flavor in their mouth, but they do like, you know, maybe a couple of times a week or more to have, uh, to have a treat and not feel guilty about it and not have it disrupt their system. And so for those people who are like, yeah, I definitely want to try this. If I could have a chocolate that's, that's, that's way low in sugar and, you know, better for the planet, et cetera, where should they go? What should they do? Well, the first and easiest place 24 by seven is just oobly.com, O-O-B-L-I.com, always available, all of our products. You'll also see all our products available on Amazon. So if you have your subscription and prime services and you want to get it free shipping, you can always get it there. Um, teas won't, are about a week away from being live there, but we quickly follow into that marketplace because it's a lot of people's preferred low shipping cost marketplace. Um, we happen to have... Uh, our products in a lot of retailers. This is all listed on our site, um, but there are a lot of 
interesting experimental retailers where people are introducing novel proteins. And there's about a dozen on our site today, but we're constantly adding to it. So again, you'd find all of that information at oobly.com. Um, and I would also put a plug in that, you know, there's so much more we could tell you about sweet proteins. And we, we it's, it is so breakthrough, um, even biochemists, even um, a bunch of scientist communities have never tasted it before, right? So this is new, even in the scientific communities um, that I really encourage people who just want to know more, be smart about it, figure it out, ask the questions we haven't answered and make us answer them because we'd love to share more of that. Visit our blog, submit questions, sign up to be in the know because we'll be announcing what's coming next, whether we're making the food or one of our partners in where to find it. And we're constantly publishing experts, points of views from the scientific community on what we're learning about sweet proteins and the health promises. Cool. Very cool. What we're super excited about is sweet proteins are kind of as good as they sound and everybody's surprised by that, but proof is in the tasting and know that you're just tasting the first two segment examples. So there's a ton more products to come. Um, and the true test is to know what we're comparing it to blindfold and say, can you tell the difference in sweetness? Um, that's really what we're focused on right now is showing you great applications. Um, so we, we look forward to your feedback and, and you're going to see lots more coming from us soon. Awesome. Thank you so much, both of you for joining me today on the optimal performance podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having Thanks, us. John.